for WIPL Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon. First of all, what a change in the weather. Yesterday in the 80s, I thought I was going to die from some heat. Today, in the 40s, I'm going to die from the cold. But in any case, I'm not going to die, figuratively speaking anyway, until we finish conversation and WIP Sunday. It's been a week, too, in terms of our wonderful president, bombing Syria. Um, what you think about that, I'm not sure, but something had to be done to stop chemical warfare. And when we come back in just a bit, another perspective on our president and his work as we talk with Colin O'Mara. Colin is an environmental activist and has a lot to say about Scott Pruitt, head of the Environmental Protection Agency. Environmental protection and a whole lot more here on 94WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. More in just a bit. And it's conversation here on 94WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Colin O'Mara. Colin is president and chief executive officer of the National Wildlife Federation, a bipartisan organization committing to enhancing environmental safety and wildlife conservation. Good morning, Colin O'Mara. Good morning, Peter. Thanks for having me on. I'm fine. From your perspective at the Federation, how do you think Scott Pruitt as head of the EPA is doing? Like, I mean, we've never seen anything like it. I mean, since Nixon created the EPA in 1970, you know, we've had you know, folks from both parties that you know, we may have disagreed with, but generally folks, you know, in general followed the science and you know, stayed within the bounds of the law. And what we're seeing now is an individual who's had more kind of unethical transgressions um, with the way he spends money, the way he accepts favors from lobbyists, um, the way he kind of priorities, prioritizes industry and kind of special interests over the public interest, um, in addition to trying to, to undo um, you know, 40 years of progress related to uh, making our air cleaner and our water healthier. All right. You mentioned the science and his difficult relationship with scientific truth. Is he unique, or isn't it really a reflection of the entire Trump administration? I mean, he's unique in the history of um, kind of senior EPA appointments, but no, it is consistent across this administration. I mean, we've seen, you know, folks that deny basic science around, you know, whether or not air pollution is bad for human health. Um, we've seen nominees that were put forth for the Council on Environmental Quality that the Senate actually rejected um, because this, this, a woman was not um, kind of willing to admit that, you know, kind of science should be the driving force. Um, we saw lobbyists from other industries being put up for positions, some of whom have been rejected in a very bipartisan ways. Um, and so it is. It's just this, it's this, it's this kind of distance between the the scientific kind of community and you know, peer-reviewed, good, good, sound science, and you know, kind of the the rhetoric that comes out of of the administration from some, some several of these individuals. Okay, what was Scott Pruitt before he took over the EPA? So uh, Mr. Pruitt was the Attorney General of the state of Oklahoma, and he really made his name on suing the EPA, trying to stop things from trying to stop you know, rules that would help clean up you know, air quality in Philadelphia by trying to reduce you know, pollution from, upstream, from um, upwind states like, like Ohio or, or you know, West Virginia. Um, he tried to stop things like the cleanup of the Chesapeake Bay for folks that are on kind of the Susquehanna side of, the, um, of Pennsylvania. Um, and so he just he sued EPA 14 times. He lost almost every lawsuit, but that's really how he made his, made his name. 
Why would he do that? I mean, was this his own bright idea, or did the governor of Ohio, of Oklahoma, say, "Do it, Scott"? No, I mean, it, it was really, it was really him. I mean, I think there was this attempt by you know, some industries to try to stop just anything President Obama tried to tried to do. Um, but the irony was that you know, he continued to sue and try to delay on things that really didn't affect Oklahoma um, directly, at least, um, just as a way to try to kind of throw sand in the gears of of the Obama administration trying to address problems around public health and you know, natural resource conservation in, you know, in, in the Northeast Corridor in particular. Has he ever offered an explanation for why he sued? I mean, he's, he has said repeatedly that he felt that, that a lot of these should be state-level decisions, that he did not agree with the, that the federal government should have a role in a lot of these things. And I think where, you know, where, where we tend to push back is the National Wildlife Federation, who is a you know, completely bipartisan organization with millions of Republicans and millions of Democrats, is that the, his fight really was, was with Congress, which is the, you know, the body that passed the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act and the Toxic, Toxic Substances Control Act. Um, all these things that he continued to sue on, um, you know, all those laws passed with huge bipartisan support in different you know, different decades. Um, but he was really trying to do everything he could to hamstring the agency from making sure that you know kids in Philadelphia could breathe clean air or drink clean water. Well, I can sort of see his argument if water and air and animals stayed in one place all the time, but rivers flow out of state, air flows out of state. And animals can't read maps to know when they've crossed the state border. So it's not really a single-state decision, is it? Oh, exactly, Peter. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, like, you can't clean up, you know, the Delaware River, right, unless you have cooperation from folks in, you know, in the southern tier of New York that are helping um, clean up the headwaters before, the, before it reaches the Delaware River Gap and, you know, eventually makes it to the city of Philly. And so, you know, I mean, these are interstate, you know, challenges a lot of times. I mean, air pollution that, that we're breathing – um, you now, in city center is you know is, is often generated from states even one or two you know one or two states away from you know some of these older legacy um, you know coal plants that don't have you know, modern uh, pollution controls on them. So, I mean, the whole reason that you know EPA had to had to be created in the first place, the whole reason we had to adopt the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act, was because that individual states weren't able to address a lot of the pollution that was that was originating from other places in the uh, in the country. Mm. All right. You mentioned unethical practices. Um, one that I know I've read about is he rents an apartment, or is it just a room? I'm not sure which, in a facility in a house in Washington, D.C. that's owned by the wife of a lobbyist. True or false? No, yeah, it's true. I mean, and, and he's admitted it. I mean, what they he had an arrangement with you know, a family that he had um, had contact with when he was in Oklahoma that had been longtime supporters. And basically for $50 a night, um, well below what you could get from Airbnb or any kind of, you know, market lease, um, he was renting a, a um, you know, a, a room and sometimes using multiple rooms in a, in a condo in, in Washington. And the problem was that not only was it, like, below market rates, but it was also from folks that had business before him that represented folks that had interest in various project approvals or regulatory actions. And so, it, it, again, it just it, it creates this appearance of impropriety, if not actual impropriety, where folks have to question who he's acting on, whose behalf he's acting, whose, whose behalf he's acting on. And, and I think, you know, again, it just kind of causes this question, is he acting for the special interests or the public interests? 
Um, and it just you know, fits into this pattern of him really placing his own interests and industry interests over the rest of us. Well, it's interesting to me, $50 a night. I recently researched um, hotel, motel rooms in Washington, D.C., and if you can find anything for under, under $125, it's remarkable. So here he is paying 50 It's almost unheard of. Well, and look, I mean, I have I have amazing young people that work for me that you know come to, from all over the country to work for the National Wildlife Federation, you know, and you know, in a nonprofit environment, you know, sometimes the you know the pay is it's, it's good, but it's not you know great. And a lot of them would love to have that kind of deal uh, where they could they could have a place for that that inexpensive. Um, and the other thing too is he only paid the night that he was there. So if he was traveling, you know, for the administration somewhere around the country, um, he, he didn't actually pay those nights, which is a, a, a incredible sweetheart deal. Because I think a lot of us would love to only pay our mortgage the day that the days that we're home, not the days that we're not. Um, but again, it's just kind of a, one of these ludicrous um, decisions that shows that I think um, he, he just thinks that you know basic rules of ethics and you know kind of good government just don't apply to him. Travel is another big issue during the Trump administration, certainly from the president on down. What's Scott been up to travel-wise? Yeah, I mean, and this is, again, it's, it's, it's odd. I mean, it's, you know, for someone, I, I was the Secretary of Natural Resources in, in Delaware, and I think one of the, um, I, I work for Governor Jack Markell, and one of the things that you know, we would always say is, that, like, you know, we had a kind of a public trust responsibility for the, the, the dollars that we, we did have, whether they're tax dollars or fees, because, you know, those are, Put people's you know, hard-earned money that you know we were putting to use to uh, to fulfill the public good, and what we've seen with Mr. Pruitt is just this kind of lavish lifestyle where like he always want always wants to fly first class. He always wants to have additional um, you know security with him. He always he took a trip to Morocco um, where he was really just advocating for a single company um, back home, and I, it, we just haven't seen this with with others. I mean, like occasionally you hear you know kind of stories of. You know, people doing this once in a while, and usually there's investigations and things like that. But in the case of, in case of Mr. Pruitt, I mean, you're talking you know, millions of dollars of, of flights and other and other expenses around these kind of trappings of the office, um, and at a time when, you know, there's record deficits and they're you know passing huge tax bills that are you know, giving away lots of, lots of revenue. Um, you know, it just seems again just. Highly questionable um, the the judgment of this individual and what that means for how he runs the agency. What's a trip to Morocco have to do with the duties of head of the Environmental Protection Agency? I'm yeah, it's, it's a great it's a great question, um, and it's something that I think frankly hasn't folks haven't kind of gotten to the bottom of yet. There was a letter the other day from a senator from Rhode Island named Sheldon Whitehouse, um, and basically he asked to you know it's not connected to the mission. Basically, it was a it was a it was a it was a trip that was intended to talk to the Moroccan government and some companies about how to create more natural gas sales for, for the U.S. Um, and the beneficiaries are primarily um, from companies from, from Oklahoma. And again, I mean, it's not I mean, increasing natural gas sales is not a priority for the, not a part of the mission of the Environmental Protection Agency. You know, maybe the maybe the Department of Energy, maybe Rick Perry and, and the team there, uh, maybe the you know Office of the Trade Rep or you know, the Department of Commerce. Um, but it's really out far outside the role of the EPA. And I think these are the kind of things that they just they're just you know we've had we've had representatives, uh, we've had officials in that department from both parties, you know, over many years, and we've had disagreements, but we've just never seen anything quite like this where, you know, it just seems repeatedly that he's acting on behalf of individual interests 
um, that are asking for special special favors instead of acting on behalf of all of us um, that you know just want clean air and clean water. And you're listening to Conversation here on 94 WIPL Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Colin O'Mara. Colin is president and CEO of the National Wildlife Federation. And we're getting a sense of what's going on there with its, with its director, Scott Pruitt. My name's Peter Solomon. Um, Colin, what are some other things that he's been up to? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we've seen... I mean, it's, it's been it's been a challenging few months because I think there has been a lot of good progress that we've been making on regional, kind of bipartisan regional efforts um, across the country, whether that's, you know, cleaning up waterways or reducing air pollution or trying to reduce the amount of toxic chemicals winding up in um, in various products. And, and he's just really been trying to, you know, kind of <laughs> repeal or re- replace a lot of these activities. And so, again... Now, we'll have policy disagreements with, you know, different folks, and you know, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. Um, I mean, we're more concerned at this point about the unethical behaviors, but, you know, he has tried to repeal things like the Clean Power Plan, which was, which, which was a, a, an attempt to try to reduce carbon pollution, to try to reduce the impacts of climate change. He's tried to replace the Clean Water Rule, which was an attempt to try to reduce the uh, nutrient pollution um, and toxic pollution winding up in waterways that are you know, obviously contaminating a lot of the waterways across the across the country. He's tried to undo chemical safety standards and um, you know, pesticide pesticide rules and just a series of things that um, just show a, a really a real disdain for um, trying to have kind of America meet its kind of public health um, standards and making it harder and harder for local communities to be healthy. Well. If I understand the position of the Trump administration, they want to be creating jobs, and they say these rules and regulations get in the way of creating jobs. What do you say? Yeah, I mean that, that's that's the argument. Um, I mean, I would say that you know over the last forty years, we've we've helped clean up waterways and clean up airways, and we've also seen you know, a phenomenal economic growth. And I just don't think the two are mutually exclusive. You know, Tom Carper, the the senior senator down in Delaware, um, you know, I think says it eloquently when he says that the most important um, you know, responsibility that we, we have is to make sure we have both a, a vibrant economy and, and you know, public health. And you know, this, this kind of false dichotomy um, continues to be the, kind of the rhetoric coming out of the, the administration. And you know, in 1990, when the Clean Air Act was amended, um, there was all these fears that the, that the pollution controls that were going to be called for to try to reduce the amount of air pollution in the, that we were all breathing would be devastating for the economy. And what they found was that we actually achieved the air quality standards in half the time at a quarter of the cost and that all these new innovations came out of, uh, out of, the, uh, out of the, kind of the entrepreneurship and the, and the innovation that, that the companies were kind of looking at to try to figure out the best way to solve some of these problems. And new products were created and new jobs were created. Um, I just think the American worker um, you know, is incredibly talented, and in that you know when you fo- when you challenge people to, you know, kind of find ways to in- increase their increase their productivity and reduce their pollution footprint, um, they rise to the challenge every time. And that's the exact opposite of what we're doing right now. We're seeing with car vehicle standards, where they're trying to repeal standards that would just allow cars to be more fuel efficient and then therefore less polluting. Um, you know, we've seen incredible progress in our our vehicles. I mean, they're just orders of magnitude cleaner than they were. 20 years ago, 
And yet, you know, this administration is trying to walk those back right now. Um, again, signaling to me at least they don't have confidence that you know the folks in Detroit and you know, other other parts of the country and the world can make cleaner cars that are also more efficient. Um, it just it just kind of it just it it contradicts years of kind of evidence to the contrary. All right. One of the nice things about our government and how it's just set up is checks and balances. When Scott Pruitt was confirmed as head of the EPA. What committee did he have to go before in the Senate? Yeah, so he testified before the Environment and Public Works Committee. Um, and uh, it's, it's led by a guy named John Barrasso from Wyoming, who's somebody we work really closely with, and then Tom Carper, who I mentioned from Delaware, is the, the ranking member. Um, and it was, it was, a, it was a very uh, kind of party-line vote, uh, unfortunately. There are lots of questions about um, kind of his attacks on science and his relationships with industry and you know, one of the things that was weird about that hearing is that usually there's a whole lot of information that a nominee has to present to the committee uh, so the committee can kind of review it. And Scott Pruitt refused to turn over his emails um, from Oklahoma, which is pretty unprecedented. And and so the, the, it, it was one of those nominations that he only received, he received no Democratic votes in committee, and I think he only received a couple, maybe two or three, um, in the on the full floor vote. Um, to become nom- to become the nominee, and it's 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 unfortunate because most nominees for that position have been have been confirmed with very bipartisan support over the years. And so again, it's just another example of it being a kind of an anomaly in an area that should be much more bipartisan. The reason I ask and talk about checks and balances, if the environmental committee had to approve his nomination, the environmental committee I would assume has oversight over over what he's doing, correct? Yeah, and so and it's another challenge. He's, you know, he's been unwilling um, to often you know, kind of testify before Congress. Um, he's been up there far fewer times than any of his you know, two or three immediate predecessors, and you know they they do have some level of oversight. But I, I do think that there was you know kind of a lack of vetting of the um, of some of his um, indiscretions when he was in his previous role in Oklahoma, um, and I think that's one of the there were some indicators I think that could have predicted. Um, what he's doing right now, and I mean, again, the National Wildlife Federation being a very bipartisan organization, um, his nomination was the, actually the first cabinet official we had ever opposed the nomination of um, in our history. And you know, we've actually recently called for his resignation after all these um, unethical behaviors. And that's only the third time that we've actually called for a resignation. The last two times were in the uh, during the Reagan administration with, uh, when James Watt was serving as Secretary of Interior and Ann Gorsuch was running EPA, both of whom had um, just many challenges, many <laughs> issues that called for that, and they both ended up resigning. Um, so, again, I just think that, that there's not enough of a check right now um, coming from Congress on some of these abuses. So that congressional committee isn't doing its job. They're just, yeah, they're, they're just less, less involved. And I think one of the things we've been, we've been asking is um, for folks like, like Senator Casey, for folks like, you know, Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick and Congressman Costello and Congressman Meehan, I mean, folks that have had really good conservation records um, that have been champions across the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, to really speak out because, you know, we're just, we're just not seeing um, the level of oversight that we normally would see. I mean, if, if these, and this is where the, the politics of D.C. have become so toxic. If a Democratic administration had done these, all the Republicans would be screaming. If now that a Republican administration, you know, the Democrats are screaming, but I'm not seeing enough kind of folks that are rising above party to really kind of 
really kind of call out the unethical behavior. We've seen you know, three or four Republicans so far step out and say that that um, Pruitt should resign, which is, I think, laudable because I think it's hard to do that to somebody in your own party. Um, but at the same time, you know, we'd like to see more of that. And I think, frankly, some of the members from um, Pennsylvania could be leading the charge, um, just given how how much conservation is a bipartisan uh, value in in the Commonwealth. And you know, we'd like to see you know some folks you know maybe stepping out and pushing a little harder. Amen. Um, shame on Congress for not doing more in its oversight. How about the president? The president, I'm told, has a list of people who are highly likely to go out the front door and not come back. Is, do you think Scott's on that list? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, the only person in the White House we think that's trying to keep Scott Pruitt in place is the actual is the president himself. Um, I mean, General Kelly and others have been reported to be just completely disgusted with the behaviors, and I think it's you know a distraction, and I think it's um, unethical. We've seen you know kind of a lot of you know anonymous leaks. I mean, this this White House does leak a phenomenal amount, um, but you know, folks complaining about his behaviors. Um, but at this point, you know, the president has signaled his support through various uh, tweets on Twitter, um, and so I mean, I, I do think that as there's more, as there's more um, news of just other behaviors far outside the norm or, or you know, legally unethical, um, that you know, that that erode that that support should should erode further. But you know, as of right now, the president's um, standing with he's standing with the uh, with the administrator. And I know this would only be an opinion, Scott Pruitt, but do you think the president really believes in Scott Pruitt, or he just doesn't want to admit he made a mistake? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it's interesting, right, because we've seen so many um, you know, personnel changes. I mean, it, it just at an unprecedented rate over the last year. Um, I do think that the, you know, the president um, you know, made some commitments in different parts of the country um, around rolling back regulations, particularly in, in coal country. And... Um, you know, and I think I think in many ways, you know, Scott Pruitt is promoting you know that part of the agenda, um, and so he's you know he's kind of created some some goodwill with certain constituencies. I think at the at the same time, the unethical behavior should you know should supersede um, any of those any of those you know kind of policy um, advancements that he's made in the from the president's point of view. But it's a um, it's a, it's just a weird dynamic because in any other time, um, any one of these kind of issues would have been enough to usually lead to a resignation. Yet we're in this era where you know we're not we're increasingly not, not shocked by um, you know these individual actions because there's so much else going on and so much chaos. And so you know we're still hoping that rationality prevails, but you know we'll see. Well, the other check and balance, though, I wanted to ask you about besides Congress, isn't there something called an Inspector General who's supposed to look at graft corruption and other no-nos? Absolutely, and the inspector general has, you know, kind of repeatedly kind of raised concerns about some of these actions, some of these spend, some of these some of these rules, the way that they've moved some personnel around, um, and so, you know, they can make recommendations. Um, they can you know, raise things, and those reports are shared with the administration. They're shared with Congress. Um, they often don't have um, they don't have many kind of tools to enact their the kind of the recommendations they're finding. They usually either need the executive branch or Congress to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean the there are other other checks. Um, the other checks the courts. And we're seeing right now that a lot of the actions that they're trying to take um, in the you know, through these various regulatory proceedings um, are being overturned by the courts because they're not following the law. They're trying to undo 
rules that were put together um, through appropriate processes with you know, sound science and public input. Um, and so there's, and so the courts repeatedly continue to um, reject the things that they're trying to do. So I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, as as Americans, I think we can have confidence that the system will work. That a lot of the damage they're going to try to do will either be rejected by the courts or you know, stopped by Congress. Just in the interim, I think it's it's just frustrating that um, a- actions that have been very bipartisan for years are just being um, slowed down or kind of distorted in ways that we've never seen. So what do we, oh, I know there was something else I wanted to ask you. Um, if I, my memory serves, because so much case goes on down in Washington, isn't Scott Pruitt the one who gave, who, whose second level of people got a whole bunch of raises, which he denied approving? Yeah, and it's just, it's a, no, thanks, Peter. The, um, yeah, so he tried to give a couple of his employees, you know, fifty thousand dollars raises, which you know is as much as a lot of families make, right? I mean, that's it's real money. Um, and he tended to prioritize the folks from Oklahoma. Uh, and then the weird thing was that when, so he asked the White House for permission to to be able to make these raises. The White House said no. Um, he said it was just too much money. And so he went went ahead and under a, a obscure provision of the the, the safe drinking water act um, gave his employees these raises over the objection of the white house and then when he was asked by the white house whether or not he had done it he said he hadn't even though they had received raises and the the law itself requires his you know kind of sign off as the administrator because it's such a significant action um and so it's just it's just weird i mean he was on an interview on fox news where he just you know denied it repeatedly but there are emails and there are documents that he was that he wrote or that he signed that you know, indicate, again, that he's just, he's just lying. Um, and I think that's, that's the part that's weird. I mean, if you do these kind of things, like, you should just own it um, and kind of face the consequences. But, you know, continually when caught, um, he denies that these actions happened, even though there's a lot of documentation that, you know, very clearly shows that he did. That's interesting because, as I recall, General Flynn, National Security Advisor, got fired, and one of the major reasons was he lied. And here's Scott Pruitt's lying. And there's not a problem. Yeah, and I, and I think this is why you're continuing to see some of the, the professionals at the White House um, just continue to be frustrated with his lack of lack of ethics and just you know just basic decency, right? I mean, you know, the, <laughs> and these, you know, in a normal administrations, like when you ask the governor's office or you ask the White House, um, you know, for permission, if it's denied, typically that's the end of the debate. You typically don't try to find an end around. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you still serve at the pleasure of the president, you know, and the and the White House, and it's just it's just odd. And again, it's you know, it's, it tends to it, it just tends to indicate that um, he feels like the uh, rules don't really apply to him. And I think that's the troubling bit, where you just can't in a position that has so much uh, such a you know, public interest um, mission. Um, if you don't feel like the rule of law applies to you, um, the outcomes can be just devastating for local communities. Well, not only that, though, but we have a president who's notorious for liking people or not liking people who don't do what they're told. And here Scott didn't do what he was told. Right. No, exactly. And, that, and that's the weird thing, right, where if, you know, when we've seen other you know, actors, as you said, like you know, the, the, general, the General Flynn example is a, a good one, and, and that, you know, when folks either don't tell the truth or kind of don't do what they're told, they, you know, get terminated fairly quickly yet. In this case, um, you know, at least so far, it's been it's been tolerated, which again is why we uh, strongly encourage you know, members of Congress um, and others to to stand up and, and speak out. Okay, 
And again, you're listening to Conversation here on 94 WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. We're talking with Colin O'Mara. Colin is Executive Director and President of the National Wildlife Federation, a bipartisan organization committed to the advancement of wildlife confirmation, conservation and preservation of a good, clean environment. My name's Peter Solomon. What do you want us to do, Scott? I mean, Colin, what do you want us uh, to do? Sorry, sorry, could you say that again? What do you want us to do about this if we agree with you? I think I think it'd just be great to have all your all your uh, listeners just call their local congressman. Just let them know that they're um, that they're disgusted with um, Scott Pruitt and that it's really time for him to to resign. And so, if you're, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Democratic members have already stepped out, but you know, we really would like to um, you know to see folks like you know Senator Casey, who's been a great leader on these issues, um, you know, Congressman Fitzpatrick, Congressman Costello, some of the some of the folks that are um, that are, especially some of the Republicans uh, in the House of Representatives, you know, speak out. We'd love to have you know Senator Toomey speak out. He tends not to engage in a lot of these issues um, compared to other things that he works on. But you know, we can call your local congressman and say, you know, it's just time to time to go. If you if, or if you're on social media on Facebook or Twitter, um, just let them let them know what you what you think and that you know, our public health is more important than you know, individuals that are um, not following the law. But if Scott Pruitt goes. Who's he going to be replaced with? Old saying, so, old saying, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, I, I sometimes, I sometimes describe to that. In this case, I think the, uh, the 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 so-called devil we know is is problematic enough that he should go. The, his, the deputy um, was actually just confirmed by the U.S. Senate the other day. It's a guy named Andrew Wheeler, um, who had who had worked on the Environment and Public Works Committee. He had worked for Senator Jim Inhofe from Oklahoma for a long time. Um, he'd worked for he'd worked in the coal industry. Um, and he is somebody that you know a lot of folks have have concerns about. Um, I've had a chance to work with him, you know, at different points in in our careers as they've overlapped. Um, you know, I think you know we we're, we'll have policy disagreements, um, and he's obviously you know pretty close to some of the some of the fossil fuel industries. Um, but he's also somebody that I think will would would color within the lines. I don't I don't antici- I don't anticipate him having. Um, many of the unethical problems that uh, that you know, Mr. Pruitt has had, um, and I also think that he'll have a better idea of what's kind of legally allowed and what's not under the various statutes. So you know, again, I mean, I think this, he's someone that you know, folks should have concerns about, but I think we won't see the level of kind of unethical behavior should he become administrator because Mr. Pruitt is either resigned or removed from from the position. How are the people under Scott and the new deputy director? I mean, I know in some other departments, like State Department, people are abandoning ship left and right. Yeah, this is this is one of the heartbreaking parts. Um, you're seeing just amazing you know, civil servant scientists um, leaving. Um, they just did a big buyout. They've been trying to you know try to reduce the ranks. Um, they've reassigned a lot of people. They've um, really just diminished their voice in the policy making process. Um, you know, there was an example of a, a woman who we've all worked with for a long time that's one of the best water quality experts in the country. Um, she was trying to figure out how to reduce the pollution coming off mining sites um, because a lot of times the heavy metals like arsenic and mercury will wind up in the water if you don't um, manage those processes well. And, you know, and she and her team were trying to have a meeting with the administrator because there was a rule that was intended to kind of protect streams through kind of small buffers um, by having you know, natural systems pick up more 
pollution in the roots before it winds, before the pollution winds up in the waterways. And they couldn't even get a meeting. I mean, it took a month to get in front of the administrator, and then when they met, he wasn't really interested. Um, and you know, so and that individual retired. And there's there's just a lot of these kind of examples of um, just really high quality folks on the civil service side. Um, just not being listened to by the political appointees, and I think, that, and that's a dangerous thing. And an agency that's so much, you know, so much of their work is predicated on having um, sound science and peer-reviewed science driving the decision making. If you remove that expertise, um, you're going to come out with you know, worse outcomes that, again, appease you know, some folks in uh, some special interests, but you know, really do a disservice to the to the uh, to the citizens. And, and I think one of the things that's um, been heartening is that you've seen even Republican former administrators, folks like Bill Riley, who was secretary during the, during the first Bush administration, secretary, administrator Christy Todd Whitman, who was administrator during the first Bush, Bush uh, George W. Bush's first term, um, folks like Bill Ruckelhaus, who was the EPA administrator both during Nixon, the Nixon administration as well as the Reagan administration, um, all say that you know, science has to be the centerpiece of decision-making, um, uh, really challenging what they're, what they're doing, which is, again, so far outside the norm. Amazing. Um, you think it's going to be successful, getting rid of him? I, I do. I, I think at some point, um, I think the unethical behaviors do catch up with, with folks. I think you just, and even this administration, um, at some point it becomes too much of a distraction. And I, and I think, um, because it's, it's unfortunate in some ways, because um, the, the number of these kind of transgressions that we're seeing um, across the administration really is imp- unprecedented, right? I mean, like, we went eight years of the Obama administration with, you know, almost no scandals, right? I mean, we just didn't see anything. And, and I think, you know, at some point there, the public pressure will be enough. I mean, I mean having more than 100 members of Congress call for um, a, an individual's removal is, you know, it doesn't happen very often. Um, and, and I think you know, that number you know, could double in the next, next few weeks. So, you know, I, I do think at the end of the day the kind of common sense and, you know, kind of morality went out, but it's, it's to be determined. And really this is why, you know, folks who listen to your great show and others just really have to have their voices be heard um, to let them know that they don't want to stand for this. Pick up your phone, call your congressman, call your senator, and tell them what you think about Scott Pruitt and the Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and that the more that we're the more that we're letting our voices be heard, the more that folks will feel emboldened to uh, to speak out. And you know, this is this is one of those areas where representative democracy can work well if we're if we're actually engaging our elected officials um, and really you know pushing them to do the right thing. And you're listening to conversation here on ninety four WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. We'll be right back after these messages. The WIP time six thirty nine. And we're back. My name's Peter Solomon. We're with Colin O'Mara, President and CEO of the National Wildlife Federation here on 94 WIP Conversation. And we're talking about Scott Pruitt, the Wildlife Federation, and a whole lot more. All right, Scott, one other quick question about um, Mr. Pruitt. What's he need a secure telephone booth for? (laughs) It's a great question. Yeah, he's got this kind of, I don't know, Clark Kent, um, Superman kind of... (laughs) kind of analogy um apparently out of concern that um the professional staff might hear what you know the career staff might hear what he's saying or there might be you know i don't know a bug or something i don't know it starts feeling like a james bond movie at some point um he spent you know, tens of thousands of dollars on um kind of secure you know, soundproof um communications infrastructure 
um, which again is just it's just it's just something that's so far outside of the pale um, that we've just never seen before, um, and I think it you know signals a, a level of I don't know if I want to call it paranoia, but just it's again this weird idea that you know, what he does um, should be secretive and not transparent and kind of shared with um, the the professional staff that are you know kind of taken have taken a sworn oath to uphold the mission of the of the agency. That's amazing to me. Um... If anyone has any out there has any notion about why Scott Pruitt needs a secure telephone line, telephone booth, let me know. I'd like to know because to <laughs> me, because to me, it seems like nothing but paranoia. I just, we just never seen anything like it. I mean, again, and there's almost too many of these examples, right, to kind of keep up with. And I just, I don't know. I mean, I just imagine if a an official in the Obama administration. Um, had done such a thing. I mean, I just can't imagine the reaction from, from, you know, talk radio and Fox News and others about, you know, that that action. And yet, this is not even the list of the top ten, you know, kind of transgressions of this administration. Okay, let's translate transfer out of Scott Pruitt and the Environmental Protection Agency and into the National Wildlife Federation in general. What do you all do? So the National Wildlife Federation, uh, our mission is to help wildlife thrive in our rapidly changing world. Um, you know, at a time when we got you know, more and more development and, um, you know, more and more folks living in cities, how do we reconnect folks to wildlife um, across the country? How do we get more, more kids outdoors? How do we get more people outdoors? Um, and the way we try to do that is to bring together people from all across the country, from all different backgrounds, from all different, um, all different uh, points of views and interests, to try to you know, make sure that uh, the outdoors and, and nature is still an important part of, of life. And you know, right now, at a time when the average kid is spending 50 hours a week in front of some kind of screen, um, and, you know, about one, and at the same time, about one-third of all wildlife is in trouble, um, you know, struggling from habitat loss or different sources of pollution or invasive species, um, you know, it's really incumbent upon all of us to, to do our part to try to have you know, kids that are healthier and hopefully do that in ways that are also improving the, uh, the, the future for wildlife. How do you do that, though? Is it simply legislative advocacy, or is there more to it? Yeah, it's all the above. So we'll work with Congress and state legislatures. I mean, we got, we got a team that's doing work with um, Penn Future is our, our state affiliate in the, uh, the, great state of, the great commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So you know, they lead a lot of the efforts in, in Harrisburg. Um, we're also working you know, regionally um, on things like the Chesapeake and the Delaware, trying to restore um, healthy watersheds and making sure there's good wildlife habitat and outdoor recreational opportunities. Um, so we do everything, so from, from advocating for change and funding in, in, in government to working with companies, um, trying to, to um, improve their environmental um, outcomes and, and reducing their impact, to um, we're also in schools. We're in, we're in 11,000 schools across the country where we provide teachers with curriculum and activities and help, um, help them teach their science, technology, engineering, and math programs um, and having a little, more, a little more wildlife and a little more um, hands-on um, kind of interaction with nature as part of that. So um, between advocacy, on-the-ground conservation, and education, um, we really use every tool we have to try to help wildlife. How do you pay the bills, keep the lights on, pay your salary? Well, it's really it's it's really the it's the generosity of, of kind of good Americans from around the country. Um, we have about six million members um, that that contribute in in some way um, every year to help help with our budget. Um, we receive some grants from you know different um, uh, different philanthropic foundations. 
um, you know, we're really blessed with, you know, donors that, that support our work. But we're a nonprofit organization. And so if anyone listening, you know, wants to help the National Wildlife Federation, they go to our website, nwf.org, um, or they can reach out to me through the, the website as well, Colin O'Mara. Um, we'd love to have their help and their, um, their volunteer hours or their, or their, um, their donations. Well, but then that leads to a question for me, Scott. I mean, sorry about that, um, Colin. At least two questions. Nonprofit organizations have to walk a fine line between advocacy and political activity. Do you ever feel like you're in danger of going over that line with this work about Scott Pruitt or any some of the other legislation? No, no, because I mean, I mean, for the most part, the as a as a as a nonprofit organization, I mean, we're um, we're not engaging in a lot of the the election activity, um, which is where the where the lines really are. Um, you know, there is a there is a National Wildlife um, Action Fund, which is a a, a more um, it's, it's a what they call a C four organization, which can do which is, can legally do more political advocacy. Um, but you know, in the C three on something like this, um, you know, even though it is it's um, even though it is um, kind of engaging in kind of policy and, and government, it's not it's not considered um, it's it's considered appropriate actions for a for a, a nonprofit to take. And how do you reach the National Wildlife Federation? So um, the, our website is www.nwf.org, National Wildlife Federation, nwf.org. Um, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter um, at National Wildlife um, and on Facebook and NWF and on Twitter. Um, and as I said, we have great, great state affiliates. And so if you're looking at doing more local work in Pennsylvania, um, Penn Future um, is our, our state affiliate. If you just Google Penn Future, you can get to their great website and see their great team. They've got folks in Philly and Harrisburg and Pittsburgh, and they do work all across the state, just phenomenal work. Um, and so, yeah, we're, um, we'd love to have every one of your listeners get involved. And what else are you doing, though, to fill the time that Scott Pruitt doesn't take up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and again, I mean, Mr. Pruitt's work, you know, is a very small fraction of what we're doing. I mean, the nice thing about the National Wildlife Federation is that, um, you know, we do have uh, just such broad bipartisan support for a lot of the work we do. And so, you know, we're, one of the things we're working on right now in, in Pennsylvania is trying to, um, really trying to clean up the Delaware River. Um, it's, it's, in a lot of ways, it's kind of been the forgotten waterway of America, even though it was you know, absolutely critical to our founding and that it... Um, and that it, you know, it's the biggest economic driver in the region. I mean, Eighteen billion dollars of economic activity is related to the Delaware River, and it supports 15 million Americans um, who get their drinking water from the from the Delaware River basin. And so we're we're leading an effort right now, um, really trying to really trying to highlight the importance of the waterway. We were just successful at getting um, five million dollars out of out of Congress in the last budget to fund something called the Delaware River Basin Conservation Act. Um, which is the first time that there's ever directed money just for the Delaware. Um, to, and then it provides some matching funds for the states of New York and Pennsylvania and New Jersey and Delaware to, to work together um, to try to do um, restoration work um, and really try to clean up some of the more polluted parts of the waterways, increasing recreational opportunities, trying to help kind of smart economic development, trying to make the area a little more resilient to uh, some climate impacts and some changes that we're seeing. Um, and so that's a good example of where, you know, we'll work with business, we'll work with other, other levels of government, we'll work with other nonprofits, trying to bring people together 
to to really focus on cleaning up, which I think would, what I think is one of the most important waterways in the country. And so we've also been working with Governor Wolf and new Governor Murphy, the new governor in New Jersey, and Governor Carney down in Delaware, and Governor Cuomo up in New York, um, trying to make this a bigger priority um, and trying to get them together to really focus on the uh, the Delaware. And so it's a it's a good example of how you know the National Wildlife Federation working with partners like the William Penn Foundation. And, and dozens, um, actually hundreds at this point, of other nonprofit organizations can come together to do something big um, in ways that really don't fully depend on just government, but really trying to empower citizens to engage, um, whether that's you know trying to clean up um, you know waterways adjacent to the um, uh, to the Schuylkill in, in downtown Philly, or you know trying to clean up you know the headwaters up in New York and you know everywhere from there down to the Delaware Bay down in Jersey and, uh, and Delaware. So um, that's the kind of work that we're doing all across the country. We're doing it for bison and bighorn sheep. We're doing it for the Great Lakes and the Gulf of Mexico. Um, we're, we're really doing work in every corner of this country trying to make sure our natural resources are healthy. I'm pleased that you, uh, you mentioned the William Penn Foundation because I think I read somewhere they just put a pledge of $40 million into the Delaware River. Yeah, they, they've been. They're they're an amazing foundation, and frankly, I, I don't know if people in kind of the Philadelphia region how realize how important they are nationally. Um, they really are the 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 Delaware River Initiative um, that they've led is one of the most thoughtful, if not the most thoughtful, um, water initiatives in the entire country. And they've been supporting sound science and great analytics, trying to make sure that. Um, good projects are replicated and scaled up across the country. They've been working to try to educate um, folks about the importance of the waterway. They've been connected. We, we do a project with them um, where they've connected all the nature centers and all the educational institutions, trying to have more kids um, learn about the watershed and then have the tools they need to help contribute to uh, reducing the pollution and um, improving the, the health of it. And so you know, they, they're just a phenomenal partner um, and, one, and a group that we're really blessed to be able to work with. Yes, we're lucky here in the Delaware Valley. Um, one more time, Colin O'Mara. How do we find the How do we find the National Wildlife Federation? Yes, yeah, so if you go online um, to uh, www.nwf.org for National Wildlife Federation, nwf.org, or find us on Facebook at uh, National Wildlife or on Twitter at NWF, and we would love to have every one of your listeners um, involved in helping out. And I'd like to say thank you to Colin O'Mara for getting up early this morning, spending an hour with us here on 94 WIP and for all of his good work. And here's hoping to get what the environment needs. Thank you, Colin O'Mara. Thank you, Peter. And thanks for your fabulous show and all, all that you do. My pleasure. And you've been listening to Conversation here on 94 WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. Stay tuned for WIP Sunday. If you can't, nothing left to say, but see you soon. <laughs>